This is the To The Point Podcast. Together with our ERISA attorney, we'll explore key Affordable Care Act and trending compliance topics, all in 15 minutes or less. Now here's our host, Sarah Gillespie. Welcome to another To The Point podcast. This is Sarah Gillespie. I'm the Compliance Director at Lipscomb & Pitts in Memphis, Tennessee. We are going to talk about compliance news and hot topics. And today, Stacy, thanks for joining me. I'm excited about something that we're going to talk about because it's been recently in the news. So first of all, how are you today, Stacy? I am well, thanks. So I want to talk about why association health plans have again been recently in the news. Most of our listeners are probably aware, but in case you're not, a federal judge recently ruled that parts of the Trump administration's 2018 final rule on association health plans were invalid. The court then directed the Department of Labor to reconsider how the remaining provisions of the final rule are affected. And the court even called the final rule an end run around affordable, the Affordable Care Act and said that the Department of Labor exceeded its authority under ERISA. And so just last week, the Department of Labor responded. And so before we get into all of that and the specifics about what this most recent activity means, Stacey, can we back up and can you remind us what the association health plans used to be like and then how that June of 2018 final rule changed them? Sure. Um, So these are very complicated arrangements, these association health plans. In in short, prior to the ACA, really prior to 2014, you could have small employers that group together into an association and in some cases be treated as a large group for insurance purposes. Um, There were rules and restrictions around it. It was difficult to do, um, but you, you could do it. After 2014, um, some rules issued under the Obama administration made it extremely difficult for small employers to band together under an association and be treated as large group. And the only way to do that was through what's called a bona fide association. And I don't want you to get hung up on the word. It's a very loaded term. You know, it's not bona fide in the sense that it's like legit. It's bona fide in the sense that it's a basically a bona fide employer, meaning the association is acting as the employer. And this is very, very rare um, situation. In most cases, most was multiple employer welfare arrangements, association health plans, um, you know, they uh, would not fall under that traditional definition of a bona fide plan. And so um, back in, I think it was maybe October of 17, Um, the Trump administration had released an executive order, maybe it was October of 16, um, but they released, uh, no, 17, Um, they released an executive order um, saying that they were going to expand HRAs and do a couple of other things, and and one of them was expand association health plans. And so they issued some rules, and the way they did this was to expand the definition of employer under ERISA. Uh, And it was a major change to ERISA. Um, You know, ERISA really 
governs the employer and employee relationships. And for 40 years, 45 years of ERISA, rules and regulations and advisory opinions all indicated a very strict rule um, of when an association can be treated as the employer. Um, And so these rules that were issued um, back in in June of 2018 and finalized later that year just really turned, you know, 45 years of ERISA rules on their head um, and said, you know, there's a new standard for who can be considered an employer. And it was extremely lax. And, you know, that's one of the issues that the court had, and we can kind of get into that. But that's that's basically what happened here is the, the government wanted to make it easier for small employers to group together and be treated as large group. And, you know, we could certainly argue, you know, philosophically, you know, should small employers you know, be subject to all those small market rules when large groups you know, don't have to do that? They don't have to offer all 10 categories of essential health benefits. They're not as you know, subject to strict rating rules. The plans can be leaner and less expensive. And is that really fair to small employers? Um, whether you, you know, agree or disagree, the way that the government went about it was it, it just stretched ERISA beyond its limits. They just didn't have the authority to, to say basically carte blanche that associations can essentially be the employer. And so obviously some people were not happy about this and I'm guessing lawsuits were filed and that is where the March 2019 ruling came from? Um, that's right. So uh, this was really spearheaded by New York, and I think Massachusetts was one of the other um, leading states on it. Um, mostly blue states were behind the lawsuit, um, challenging the rules and basically claiming that um, they uh, exceeded Congress's authority under ERISA, that they're an end run around the the ACA. And you know, one of the you know, kind of more interesting things about this opinion is this opinion really had some some good zingers in there. Um, but the, when the government was arguing in front of the court and claiming, you know, look, this is within the scope of our authority. This is in no way an end run around uh, the ACA. And the court said, well, you know, we have your executive order, you know, the president's executive order, and we actually have an, an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal written by the Secretary of Labor explaining how these new association health plans are in end run around the ACA. So, you know, their own words came back to hurt them a bit. Um, and, you know, clearly, when you look at the facts and circumstances, it's obviously an end run around the ACA. It's nothing but an end run around the ACA. And so what did this ruling, what did this ruling call out? It disallowed a couple of the pieces of the AHP rules. And what were those? So, you know, the the crux of it, and I think you mentioned this, is that, you know, the DOL said that the rule unreasonably expanded the definition of employer to include groups that didn't have any real commonality of interest 
Um, and, you know, it's essentially purporting to expand ERISA to cover what is basically a commercial insurance transaction between unrelated parties. And so the court, you know, said that a, a number of these provisions didn't work. And this is where another of, of you know, the little zingers comes in. Um, they So when you, you read about this in the news or alerts and this and that, they'll tell you that um, major portions or key provisions of the association health plan rule were struck down. It doesn't say that the entire rule was struck down. And this is due to a, a technique that this administration has been using when they've promulgated regulations. Um, this administration, Trump administration, they have been a little aggressive, right, with, with some of their regulations. And so when they issue regulations that they think might be subject to challenge, they include these severability provisions. And they acknowledge and they say, look, if, if portions of this regulation are deemed unenforceable, then the rest of it will stand. Um, and so the judge noted that in, in his opinion here and said, okay, well, we have a severability provision. So I'm basically declaring everything illegal except the um, non-discrimination element of the association health plan rules. And then he, he kicked that back to the lower court and said, you figure out how to get that to work um, under the severability clause. I mean, that's, that's as snarky as a judge gets um, if you're not, you know, Scalia. <laughs> so, okay, so the Department of Labor was told to reconsider how the remaining provisions of the final rule would be affected after those parts were struck down. And then just last week, the DOL did come back and they responded in disagreement, right? So what, what does all of that mean and what do you see would be the next step at this point? So I think the DOL is not going to go back and, and recast or reconsider these rules. I think they're just going to forge forward and appeal. Um, you know, they're not going to try to, to work them. They are unworkable under the framework of ERISA. And I'll, I'll give an example in a second. Um, they might try legislative fixes. Um, there has been a bill introduced um, to protect association health plans um, down in Texas. Um, a lot of the plans that we're seeing that are relying on these association health plan rules are chamber of commerce plans. And they, in my experience, they tend to be working pretty closely with state insurance commissioners. They have complied with a lot of the small group reforms. So, you know, there's not, I don't think there's like, you know, major, major issues looming for those kinds of chamber of commerce plans, although they probably need a little bit of protection. Um, but, you know, one of the other you know, interesting things are the, the way, the reason the court said that, you know, this rule is unworkable. Um, I mentioned that ERISA only governs relationships between employers and employees. And this rule allowed a working owner, sole proprietor, to be treated as an employee. And so they gave an example where you could have 50 sole proprietors with zero employees who form an association, and now they're treated as a large group for insurance purposes without having a single employee. And they just said, you know, that's just simply not um, 
something within ERISA's purview. And so what do you think is going to happen with the appeal? Do you have any predictions for down the road? Um, I, I have to say, I mean, and again, I'm not taking a side on whether small employers have to deal with these rules or not, but I did breathe a bit of a sigh of relief that one court looked at this and said, this is, you know, absolutely outside of the scope of ERISA. I mean, it, it really is. I mean, <laughs> it's just like, you know, you're, you're calling your, your dog's uh, tail, its leg and, and saying how you have a five legged dog. Um, it's it's uh, it's really is it's just outside of the framework of ERISA. Um, you know there are other ways to do this, um, but it just simply it can't be amending the regulation under ERISA to expand the definition of employer because it exceeds the statutory authority. It exceeds you know forty five years of of administrative opinions and the. You know, the Trump administration just they didn't show that they considered any of those comments. They just forged ahead. So I think they appeal this. And I think a court of appeals looks at this and and agrees with the lower court judge. And I don't see how this works. So for those that are in one of those Chamber of Commerce plans right now that's in question about, you know, whether it's going to be able to continue another year or not, I think I read that the plans could continue through the end of the current plan year. Is that correct? Well, I mean, you you have to look at each plan individually. And, And again, most of the ones that I've seen tend to be Chamber of Commerce plans, and they are in you know, close consultation with their state insurance commission. A lot of them comply with this, the, the rules for small group plans. So, you know, that that's one of the concerns. And so if your association complies with the small group rules, then, you know, you have a little more comfort there. And, and really one of the major issues with, with this whole rule were the provisions for working owners. And I haven't seen any, not that I've seen all the associations out there, but I haven't seen any uh, new AHPs that were formed for working owners. And in fact, I think most of the ones um, specifically excluded working owners. Um, And and a lot of times we've, we've worked with brokers and carriers trying to get these plans set up. Sometimes the carriers aren't even interested in offering the association plan. They don't like the risk or they don't like the group or they don't have a national network. Um, so we, we hadn't seen a huge prevalence, an increase in the prevalence of these AHPs anyway. It's interesting that you say that because I, I worked for Cigna for many years before I came to the broker side and Cigna, you know, and other carriers it always seemed didn't ever want to touch association health plans for the sake that they were basically me was and didn't want to touch them with a 10 foot pole. So a reversal that says, and now you can, I was interested to see if they actually would be in, you know, would want to move forward. And we really haven't seen a lot of AHP activity um, other than in instances like you were saying, you know, chambers of commerce, areas where it might be beneficial to really small employers like that. So anyhow, 
thought it was interesting you said that. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Stacey, thank you for your insight. And I know we'll, we will revisit this conversation if we have uh, more information to discuss down the road. If you want to listen to any of our other podcasts, please do. Thanks so much and have a great day.